Welcome to today's podcast on Sustainalytics new ESG risk rating. My name is Cecilia Cisana, and I am a director on Sustainalytics client relations team. A couple of weeks ago, we launched a rating that measures how well companies manage their most material ESG risks. Our guest today is Dr. Henrik Gartz, Executive Director on Sustainalytics ESG Ratings Products and Thematic Research Team. Henrik leads the team behind the development of the risk rating and is here to help me shed some light on this new ratings approach. Uh, Henrik, why did Sustainalytics develop the ESG risk ratings? Yeah, thanks, uh, Cecilia, for this question. Um, we developed the rating in response to market trends and needs and to the feedback we received from our clients over many years. And, of course, innovation is a forward-looking exercise as well, which means that in the development of the rating, we incorporated our view about the direction the market and investor needs will be taking going forward. For us, our new rating is representing the next generation of ESG ratings, a true leap on the innovation S-curve, making ourselves as a service provider and in the first place, of course, our clients fit for the future. So what are some of the features of the ESG risk rating that make it a next generation rating? First of all, it has a clear measurable objective. It intends to measure the potential impact of ESG issues on enterprise value. It is based on the notion of financial materiality and risk. It is, hence, forward-looking in nature and has been built for investors and for a variety of use cases and asset classes, including fixed income. It provides a measure of risk that allows us to make cross-sectoral comparisons of companies. An oil company, for example, can be directly compared with a bank. It is very granular in its determination of exposure by evaluating and selecting material ESG issues at the sub-industry rather than the sector level and by taking the company-specific context into account in a systematic manner. We do this with the help of a beta approach, in analogy to the beta concept that is known from mainstream finance applications. Our new rating does also incorporate event-driven controversy assessments in a meaningful and timely manner, making the rating more dynamic and bringing it closer to market movements. Thank you, Hendrik. That's very interesting. Um, could you also tell us more about the two dimensions of the ESG risk rating? Sure, Cecilia. The two dimensions of the risk rating are exposure and management. I think it's fair to say that the introduction of the exposure dimension has been the main source of most of the innovative features of the new rating. In our model, exposure measures the degree to which the enterprise value of a company is potentially impacted by ESG issues. It is our measure of materiality. It determines which issues are selected and how much these issues contribute to the final rating outcome. The second dimension is, as said, management. The management dimension measures how well a company is managing those ESG issues that have been identified as material. We do also take those risks into account that we consider as unmanageable by a company. For example, 
A pure integrated oil company can certainly not manage all of its carbon-related risks as long as it continues to be an oil company. So, Hendrik, how exactly do these two dimensions come together? The two dimensions, exposure and management, are finally condensed into a single metric of unmanaged risk, which also represents our final rating outcome. As said above already, our rating outcomes can be compared across sector boundaries, which does, of course, not at all limit the ability to apply our ratings in a best-in-class context. The companies in our universe are finally sorted into five categories of risk, negligible, low, medium, high, and severe. And what about corporate governance? How does that factor into the ESG risk rating? Corporate governance is one of the main building blocks of the risk rating. We also talk about our new ratings baseline. This is because corporate governance is considered material for all companies in our universe. It is a common factor, so to say, and it enters the ratings equations for company A and company B with basically the same level of exposure. On average, the contribution of the corporate governance building block to the final rating is around 20%. Hendrik, could you go into a little bit more detail about what exactly we're assessing for corporate governance? It is important to note here that we talk about a full corporate governance assessment that we have integrated into the new risk rating, also speaking to the needs of the mainstream market and of fixed income investors. It comprises six pillars, including board and management quality and integrity, remuneration and financial reporting. In the aggregation of pillar scores, we are taking regional and country-specific corporate governance perspectives into account. We believe that the comprehensiveness with which we incorporate corporate governance into our flagship ESG rating is unique and is one of the many features that distinguish us from our competitors. So your team is publishing a series of three white papers on the new ratings. In addition to digging into the methodology, the first paper also reveals some interesting results from portfolio backtesting and also practical application in the investment process. Can you share some of our key findings there? Of course, happy to do so. Um, so we have backtested our new risk rating methodology by benchmarking portfolios that we formed based on risk rating outcomes against the market and three other risk indices, to be precise, a size, a value, and a momentum factor. We did that for a 102-month period, starting in January 2010 and ending in June 2018. We worked with a global universe of companies and separately looked at the three main investment regions, North America, Europe, and Asia-Pacific. All in all, we looked at 96 different long-only portfolio strategies, out of which 41 yielded statistically significant alphas, i.e. positive risk-adjusted returns, of up to 13.2% per annum before transaction costs. This certainly is a quite impressive number compared to other similar studies and certainly requires a careful interpretation. All in all, 
I can say, however, that we are confident that the ESG risk ratings can provide signals to investors that will allow them to structurally improve the risk and return profiles of their portfolios. Hence, I can only encourage those who listen to this podcast to take a closer look at volume one of our white paper series. Thank you, Hendrik, for sharing your insights, and thank you to our listeners. For those interested in learning more about the risk rating, please do visit Sustainalytics' website to either download a summary of the first white paper or alternatively request a copy of the full report from us, also via the website. <laughs>